Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Developing the Leader Within. I'm Enrique Acosta Gonzalez, your host. And today I have Norman Wolf with me. He is the CEO of Quantum Leaders and an author of a book that I just love. It is called The Living Organization. And in it, you're going to find a lot of nuggets of pearls of wisdom that are going to help you out. Uh, Norman, welcome to the show and thank you for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Enrico. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot. All right, great. Well, we were talking in the background and also throughout the months because we've been working on this for a little bit. Um, and, and we decided to talk about identify, identifying your soulful purpose. Um, now, this is something that is near and dear to my heart because as I was sharing with you, I believe the leadership uh, definition has been skewed a little uh, to kind of uh, be a, a basically a stumbling block to leaders. They don't understand that leadership starts when you open your eyes. That's how I view it. Uh, it's when you open your eyes that leadership starts. If you cannot start it there, then by the time you get to your job site, by the time you get to engage with people, you've already missed out on all the blessings that it is to be a leader. You're only working on your current job, your current task, and you miss all the cues of what it is to be a full leader. So in the holistic uh, viewpoint, I try to uh, take it from there. Uh, but in talking about identifying your soulful purpose, that's one of the things that makes leadership so fun. When you have identified that this is your purpose, uh, and when you can tie yourself to that, uh, I think that leadership will be a whole lot more pleasant for you and for those that you lead. Uh, so thank you, first of all, for that wonderful book. And second of all, for this that we're about to engage. <laughs> thank you, Enrique. Um, yeah, so let's talk about my soulful purpose. How, how did I end up doing what I'm doing? It, it actually started probably unconsciously um, when I started work when I was a young man uh, back in 1969, 1970. I remember walking into my job. I was an engineer with uh, Pratt & Whitney Aircraft. And I had a senior engineer, sort of my supervisor, the lead, the lead engineer. And he made a couple of comments over the course of a couple of years. And, and one comment was, Norman, when you come into work, you leave your personal life behind. Wow. Well, I think it was you leave your personal life at the door. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. Which part of me do I leave behind? Do I take off my right foot, my left arm? I, I, I couldn't figure that out. So, but that stuck in me. And, and the second thing was, uh, he said, work is not meant to be fun. There was a group of us sitting around talking about how much we just thoroughly enjoyed what we were doing. We were having a lot of fun, making a difference. And he came in and overheard us and he said, gentlemen, work is not meant to be fun. This isn't Disneyland. If you came to, if you were here to have fun, you'd be paying the company. They had to pay. And, and you can kind of sense that sense of uh, 
thought process or mindset that he had. Well, over the course of my year, my years in, in being an employee and leading organizations and consulting with organizations, I saw that particular pattern kind of dominate the way we think, the way employees feel about going to work, the way leaders unconsciously, and I want to emphasize that word, that unconsciously create that environment, not intentionally. And I began to get curious and, and quite frankly sad about it. And so I wanted to do something about it. At the same time, as a leader of an organization, I recognized that my number one responsibility was to ensure the organization was creating the outcomes necessary to make it thrive and survive and, and grow. And I also discovered that we have an abysmal record at accomplishing that. If you look at the statistics, statistically speaking, over the last four decades, it, the failure rate of implementing successfully achieving the objectives of strategic initiatives fail at 70% consistently. So here we have a system that doesn't work to get the outcomes we need and also makes people miserable. <laughs> I decided there was something fundamentally broken. So my soulful purpose was to find a way to help organizations first and foremost, enhance and support the dignity of the human spirit to release that creative spark that allows organizations to be successful and grow. That energy that's pent up in people, that's, that's squashed by the existing organization. So that's what I set out to do and it culminated in the book, The Living Organization and uh, all the work we do here at Quantum Leaders to bring that framework and model into existence in, in business to help them create better results and better, better world for the employees, for the customers and for the world in general. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, when, when you spoke about uh, leaving, uh, leaving your personal life at the door, it, it took me back to a, an era uh, when, I, when I was starting out in the, in the Navy. Ah. Uh, and I remember a chief, which I ended up becoming, right? But uh, I remember at that time I was a young airman, and uh, and the and I remember the chief specifically told me, <clears throat> "The Navy did not give you a family; it did not come in your sea bag." And I said, "Wow!" And immediately I had the challenge of choosing between my profession and my family. And how does a young, you know, 18, 19 year old, uh, you know, decide, you know, how, who takes priority? But when you said that, it, it, it also brought to my mind the fact that these are the things that make work less human. Absolutely. These are the things that remove the heart out of the workplace. And so Absolutely. no wonder Absolutely. we are having issue upon issue upon issue when your company is made of people and they cannot separate this, you know, the, the two. Uh, the, and the funny thing is, then, then I go home 
and I'm thinking I have to do the same thing when I go home. So how did your day go, honey? <laughs> Never mind. Right. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> right. Yeah, I leave work at work and I come. Who who are we? We're schizophrenic society because of that, right? Um, you know, uh, Bob Chapman uh, wrote this wonderful book, and he tells a story about how he changed the culture of, of his organization. Um, and he tells the story about a gentleman who said, you know, because I am now being treated as a whole human being at work, I find my life at home being much more connected with my family. So just what you said. I mean, it's a wonderful story of, um, of how we are whole human beings, whether we like it or not. And when we're forced to bifurcate ourselves, to split ourselves in half, you know, we talk about work-life balance. Well, excuse me, but I only have a life. I don't have a work life and then a life life. You know? I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? When you think about it through that lens. And it comes from, if, if I may get into a little bit of the, the model, it comes from some fundamental, what I call paradigms, or you can call them mindsets, the way we think about the world. And when we think about the world of organizations as if it's a machine, I, there's a lot of what I call byproducts to that way of thinking. One of the byproducts is what we're just talking about, right? People become cogs in a the machine, they become automatons, they become units of work. We even talk about them as FTEs, full-time employees, right? Units, fungible, exchangeable parts that if one breaks down, we get another one and replace it, right? That's the way we think about an organization, even in our planning, when we do our budgets, we, we think in those terms. But there's byproduct results of that, which we've been talking about. I, I think the most significant one, since we're here to talk about leadership, is the role of leader as defined in the machine paradigm is plan, organize, lead, and control. That means I, as the leader, am fundamentally here to program the machine. We call that strategy. And everybody else is here to execute what I, as the leader, or the leadership team, if you want to go that far, decides we should be doing. Again, byproducts, right? So if I am the leader, and my, plan, my job is to plan, organize, lead, and control, what does that lead for you to do? Well, just do obey, follow, and report. Where's the creativity in that? Where's the innovation in that? Where's the ability to become resilient and agile in that? So we have this mindset that not only for the leader, but that mindset of the leader creates a mindset in the employees. And it's not just at work. Let me tell you, this is a societal problem because it's created from the day we go to school. We follow the rules, you know, we start off as young children, we follow the rules of our parents. Well, at the age of two, three, four, five, six, appropriate. By the time we get to be eight, 10, 12, we should be learning to stand on our own, to make decisions, to learn how to manage risk and, and the risk reward, and to be able to apply, apply our experiences to enhance our ability. But if you look at the way the schools work, up through high school and now even in college, all we're supposed to do is follow the rules, <laughs> obey, learn the material, pass the test and graduate. 
that's it. And then we go to work. And so we've been trained to say, okay, teacher, well, we saw mom and dad, what do I do? Teacher, what am I supposed to do to be successful? Boss, what am I supposed to do to be successful? Two problems. One is we've got highly immature, dependent employees, dependent on the leader to make decisions and to tell them what to do. And we've got leaders who are burdened with the responsibility and the complex world of figuring it all out. What a sad state of affairs. So that, that's what we began to recognize and, and the living organization framework says, what if you shifted that? What if you started to see the organization as a person? And I mean, literally a person, right? Uh, if you go into any organization, you'll notice it has various departments and every department seems to have a personality, right? They, you can almost tell the engineering department will have a more analytical personality than the sales department, right? And, 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 and we kind of over, we recognize that, but we don't do anything with it. But what if we actually began to look at the organization as a living person and all the people, all the departments in it were individual people. And of course the individual departments are made up of actual individual people. And we began to apply the principles we use, say at home, in our relationships to how we manage organizations. And we looked at the role of the leader as nurturing and cultivating the people to help them grow and develop collectively and individually. If our role was more to set the fundamental context, we call it, that the reason why we come together as a group and what we're here to accomplish and who we want to make an impact for. Now, and people call that mission, vision, values, but that's just a mental thing. And we look at it as, a, as an embodied state of being. And, and, and they're there to build community and to be of service. So we shift from plan, organize, lead and control to context, development, community and service. And that's the new world. And it gets to your point that you made at the very beginning, which I love. Leadership is a life thing. When I wake up in the morning, who am I being? That's the way we like to talk about it. Who am I being while I'm doing what I'm doing? Am I being a programmer of a machine? Or am I being a nurturer of a collective and the individual people within it? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and, and I had came up with that when I started analyzing my soulful purpose uh, at, at to, you know, to your credit, um, when I started saying, well, are you a leader when you show up to work or, or, or so, so more like in, in the question is more like, did your leadership start when you showed up to work or did you bring leadership into work? I love that which is the two, it's very two oh, different exactly. things. Yep. And so I started analyzing it from the perspective of when I first came in contact with the first human today, which would be my wife, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> which when I first came in contact with her, was I a leader to her? Yes. When I saw my children, before yeah. they started their day, was I a leader to them? Did I bring leadership to work 
or did I put on leadership when I went through the first door of my job site, right? Which most, most people, they put on leadership. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's not a life thing, and that's why I referred to that. Um, and, and once leaders start to understand that this is a life thing, they, they may treat leadership with a little more respect and honor that is due because it is a position where, and, and we were jokingly, uh, uh, well, at least I was jokingly saying in the beginning, you know, you will have someone, the, the same people you say, hey, leave your personal life at, at the door and, and hey, the family didn't come in the sea bag, you're also making them go home and spend their dinner table time talking about you. Because that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, so, yeah. But, um, but, uh, but I love what you just said. Um, and, and, you know, humanizing your organization is a benefit. Absolutely. It is not detracting from your ROI, oh, from no. your bottom line. As a matter what? of fact, it may, it may increase that exponentially and i'm sure that in your line of work and what you've done and what you do with organizations you can attest to that Absolutely. Uh, those those that give you the option the the, uh, the option and ability to go <laughs> in and humanize them they have seen that so can you give me a little uh, maybe example of something that you've seen and said man that's that's what i was talking about yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to help you understand the example, let me give you a little bit of background of, of the model we use. If an organization is a living person, then the question you want to ask to, to your point is how does a person create the outcomes they create? Right? So if I know how I create outcomes as a person and an organization's a person, a living being, how do living beings create outcomes? Well, certainly there's the activity we do. Right? So if I'm going to type a, a computer code, if I'm going to run a production line, if I'm going to develop certain metrics to know how I'm doing and all of those things, then I know the, out, you know, the activity. And it, but human beings become a look, and, and that's, if, if all you had was a machine, that's all you would care about. And in fact, that's all we do care about, right? How do we streamline the operations and how do we eliminate waste and how do we what are the right metrics that's going to incentivize people that's that's our dominant way of thinking the machine way of thinking human beings are kind of unique in that they also have this thing called relationships and i won't go into long detail i'll just give you a little taste of it imagine you have a group of people who are in conflict with each other trying to get something done that would be, uh, from an energy point of view, that would be like um, uh, energy out of phase, to use an engineering term, or simply we're, we're spending so much time in the, in the relationship domain that we're not getting any activity done. Versus an organization that where people are harmonious with each other, where they support each other, where they feel supported by everybody else, where, where they can trust and, and have positive, harmonious relationships. And I'm not just talking about we like each other and we go to the movies together. There's just a sense of being together that I feel safe and supported. Right? Think about the outcome those people will produce. So relationships carry a huge weight in it. But there's this other element we call context, which is 
simply put, and it really goes into your, your theme, the developing the leader within, who am I being while I'm doing what I'm doing? What are my core belief systems? What do I think is possible and is not possible? How do I respond to life's events unconsciously, right? What am I, you know, something happens and I, and I respond to it, right? That's come out of my years of experience where well, the same thing happens with organizations. They have this sort of internal, what we call psychic DNA patterns that something happens, they respond without thinking, which is good because it makes us efficient. It's not good when it doesn't fit the current environment I'm in. Same thing with human beings, right? Uh, we live life, we, we, we learn to respond to life in certain ways that fits us well. As long as it's producing the outcomes, we keep doing it. When it doesn't, we get into conflict with life experiences and that stimulates us to change. So we wrap that all up into a, a simple formula that says the impact we create is equal to the activity we do times the relationships squared because that carries a lot of impact on our activity to the power of context because the context is sort of a defining energy field. That's a little background. Let me show you how I apply it. So when we go in and do a, a SWOT analysis, for example, most SWOT analysis focus dominantly on the activity we do. What are our strengths and weaknesses and how do we do what we do and where can we improve and what are the opportunities in front of us and so forth. But they don't consciously or explicitly pull out the relationship and activity in the context fields. I was working with one client and they were having terrible problem meeting um, their milestones on getting new products developed. And so they kept promising things to customers and they miss, promise, miss, promise, miss. So that's the, that was the activity problem. Well, when, when I dove down a little bit more, it became obvious that there was conflict amongst the executive team. They were bickering and the CEO was getting frustrated because she couldn't get a team aligned and no matter what she was doing, it wasn't quite working right. That was part of why she brought me in. So when I did the, the deeper dive into the context field, I discovered that half of the company led by mostly the CEO, the company was centered around providing sales. It was a sales company for internet uh, advertising. And it had developed this wonderful technology platform that gave them a competitive advantage to make sure they were getting the biggest bang for the advertising dollars that the customers, they can figure out the algorithms and all of that. The other half of the company led by the IT guy felt that the company wasn't a sales company that used the technology platform. It was a technology platform and they should be selling the platform and marketing that. So he was prioritizing the enhancement of the platform where not and, and deprioritizing the needs of the sales. When I presented those three things, you know, I, we, we laid it out. Here are the issues around activity that you're struggling with. Here are the issues around relationship. And here are the context issues. The whole executive team went, oh, that's why we can't solve it. Because we've got this fundamental split. Of course, being that the CEO was on the side of the sales, the IT manager had to either get on board or leave. He ended up choosing to leave. He wanted, he really believed, and he went to another company to develop that platform, which is fine for him. And then the company got back on track and 
everything went well. Without identifying that underlying context split, whatever they did at the activity level to improve achieving milestones, which they did, they implemented Agile, spent tens of thousands of dollars implementing new systems, right? brought in people to facilitate the, the relationship conflicts. Nothing changed because fundamentally nobody was addressing the context. So there's an example of how important this is to be able to explicitly identify all three fields. We also do it in simpler terms. How is the company wide? But you can do it for any challenge. We use a, what we call an arc force field analysis. Here's the challenge. What are the activity, relationship, and context issues associated with it? It's that combination, and, and it ties right back to what you talk about, the, the leader within. Who am I being? What's my context? Am I waking up in the morning as a leader with a mindset of leader to develop and nurture the people I'm in? Am I waking up in the morning with a mindset that I put on my leadership role and I program the machine when I get to work, but at home I'm a different person? What's, the, what's my context? And that changes everything. Absolutely. I, I, I love uh, all that you just said. And it's funny because you mentioned a company and I'm like, man, I know that company. <laughs> it's, a, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a challenge. It's a challenge that everyone Every that doesn't understand uh, context, right? Context yep. and, and activity, all that stuff. If you don't understand that, you will have what I consider a double-headed dragon, right? Yes. A double-headed oh, yes. <laughs> double <-headed> dragons. <laughs> uh, they, they, they think they're together in purpose. Yes. But in thought, they are so separate. And yep, because, totally. you know, it's one body, but it's two heads. And, uh, you know, it, it's one, it's a challenge that many companies face oh, absolutely. Uh, and they see right over it because they think they're, no, we're, we have the same purpose, but the, the, the train of thought and the mindset are so different that, uh, that it actually splits the company. And, and, it, um, and it's so easy to fool each other that we're on the same page. In this example, the, the IT the head of IT would be talking to the VP of sales. And if you listen to that conversation, they'd both be saying, oh yeah, you know, the VP of sales says, yeah, the, the platform is important. I agree with you. And we gotta, you know, we gotta use it to get the products out for the customer. And the VP of uh, IT would be saying, oh yeah, sales is important and we wanna use sales so we can develop the platform. But they're really saying two different things, even though they're on the surface agreeing with each other. Because their underlying sense of being, the, the, the sense of, who I am, my identity, and what's important to me to be safe and successful in life are way different, even though on the surface it looks the same. So if you don't get down and understand that, you're right. You got a two-headed dragon. It's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I've seen that nightmare once or twice. So, <laughs> um, and, and you know what? It's not, it's not foreign to, um, to the military. Although, oh. uh, although in the military, there are very, you know, there's the UCMJ. There's this one thing that kind of levels everybody out. There's orders and you obey them. Uh, <laughs> you, could, you could ask about something, but there's still an order. Uh, so it's different in that aspect. But you, I have seen commands that have a two-headed dragon uh, well. syndrome uh, underlying. It's underneath. 
and uh, and and a, a, a savvy senior enlisted leader can see that right from the beginning and and address it. And that's the benefit of having uh, that uh, third spoke to the wheel of Bro. the uh, chain of command. Because if if not, uh, some things can go uh, you know astray. But um, I'm I'm loving this uh, conversation, uh, and and I would love to continue uh, to dive into this thing. What what um, what brought you? Uh, to the to addressing the soulful purpose because uh, you know in business and, and we kind of mentioned it right uh, money talks right money talks um, uh, heart and soul uh, you know it's kind of one of those dance around I hope you get it I hope you know that I hope you live a good life but not here so how how did you uh, implement some stuff like this in companies that where you know the thought is money talks well. As I said in our, in our previous conversations, I totally agree with the notion money talks. I, I, you know, it, 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 too many consultants uh, in, in others in the field, academics and so forth, talk about life as if um, profit and money are bad things. They're greedy. It makes people bad. It's the cause of why we're, we're doing all this thing. And, and they don't recognize that we have to make money. Money is just a proxy metric. It's a proxy indication of how well we're serving the people we had to serve. Because in business is structured as I give you something of value and you give me something in, in exchange of equal value. Instead of giving you, you know, three goats for four cows, I give you uh, a, an engagement of my services for X number of dollars, right? But it's still an exchange of value for value very fundamental. We do it in our personal lives. I go to work, I expect something in return for that, right? You do, everybody does. Leaders do, employees do, because we know we have to make a profit in our personal life. Otherwise we go, I mean, into debt <laughs> and we go into bankruptcy and we get on, the, you know, and so nobody wants that. So this notion of profit is bad is a misnomer uh, and, and it actually doesn't serve us. When I set out to, to create the model, uh, forefront in my mind and in my thinking was, how do we create the results we wanna create? How do we create the impact we wanna make? The impact we wanna make is measured, we wanna measure what we do, is measured in dollars. You know, very simply, without making finance real complicated, I give you something of value, you give me something in return, equal value, right? That's called my revenue stream. I consume energy in, in producing that thing of value. That's, that's my expenses. The consumption of energy is fundamentally my expenses. If my value I give, if I've added value to my expenses, I have a differential. That's called profit, right? Again, personal life, same thing. I make an income. I spend my money to live my life, to, to develop myself, to, to utilize that money for my own enhancement, my own experiences. If I have something left over, that's my profit. I can invest that into the growth of my family. I can buy a house, I can buy a car. Without that profit, there's no investment in the future. Same thing for a company. Without that profit, there's no investment in the future. Profit is good. So the question I ask is, how do we create the outcomes we create at the least use of energy possible? 
And that's really where I came up with activity, relationship, and context. Recognizing these three fields is what contributes to the outcomes I create and the impact I make. And so I want to optimize all three fields. And going back to my example, I'm wasting a lot of time and money if I'm spinning around on solving a problem without understanding the underlying context that's causing it. If I understand the underlying context, I can solve my problems much faster and save a lot of money. Right? So it's really oriented, the whole model was oriented to the very thing people complain about is how do we make more money? How do we do more with less? And that's, that's, that's what we all want to do in our personal lives and in business. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, uh, it's not it's not money that's the issue. It's the it's the love of money, right? <laughs> when you focus ah. your you focus on that one piece and negate everybody else, then you got some trouble. But no. it's not money. It's that's, that's not the right. case. You know, they, everybody's in business. Uh, that is the currency that is shifted. If it was cows, we'd be talking about cows, right? <laughs> so, you know, then the cows would be evil. That's not the case. Um, so I love, you know, and I'm going to recap this. Uh, so folks uh, that are listening, leaders that are listening, your leadership starts when you open your eyes. Remember that. If, if you are donning on leadership, when you walk in the door of your business or your company or an organization, you are, you are diminishing the authority and the power of leadership to a timestamp. And when you run leadership in timestamp mode, then what you do is you're going to detract from your people because you're going you're gonna to rely on them. You're not relying on your effort. You're relying on their obedience. So that's number one. Number two, humanize your organization. I love the living organization uh, model, uh, everything that you've packed into that, uh, Norman. I, uh, yeah, I'm on a deep dive into that myself. Uh, but humanize your organization, uh, create an environment that you, pe your people feel safe and supported. Uh, that shows that you are opening your eyes to leadership, not donning it on. And be careful for root driven, and you have mentioned it, but I, I gave it another name, root driven reactions. When, when, when we react to something, something deep down inside, you don't recognize then you need to start looking at what those root-driven reactions are causing for your organization and as a leader. Uh, I, I believe that those things that we just mentioned will help you out a whole lot. Norman, uh, I, I've, been, I've been loving this. I've been loving listening to you. Um, I can't wait to travel restrictions are kind of let go so I can hit you up in California. Hey, I'd have, love have, yeah, and, uh, but if someone wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do that? I have two ways. One is uh, my LinkedIn profile. So just check Norman Wolf and Quantum Leaders. Uh, second, and probably the best way is uh, uh, my website, www.quantumleaders.com. And for your guests, I, made, I have a, a free offer of the first three chapters of my book. Uh, they can get that by going to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast and sign up and get the first three chapters of the book to get a sense of what we're talking about. Uh, I love it. I love it. You know, every time somebody comes and offers the listener something and, and, and it's this good, folks, 
start going in there, get into that website. Um, I'm going to put all your information, Norman, on the bottom of the video. And uh, so people can get, uh, reach out to you. Uh, but this was a great conversation. Um, you know, one that I could just engage, you know, for a while, but, uh, <laughs> but well, we'll uh, just have to do it again. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's work on that folks. Uh, as good. you know, that we love, uh, ending our show. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Norman, for being with us as well. And uh, to everybody out there, success to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have that will help us improve. Until then, success to you.